and a certain amount of George Washington papers to do that. But still, a lot easier than there. So I, I, we live in a world where we are ensconced with privilege and injustice day by day. And being a kingdom people, we're called to keep attention and perspective of that. And I, just, I, uh, I realized the last couple of weeks have been especially heavy for Central Vineyard. And uh, the idea is specifically discussing Roe versus Wade and the repeal of Roe versus Wade and the existence of Roe versus Wade. We have a church, you could say, that's completely divided on this issue. It, on, I mean, they have divided opinions. But I wouldn't say opinion A or opinion B. And uh, we have a spectrum of takes on this that is. The more conversations I have, and I've had a lot of them over the years and a lot of them recently, the more I realize that no, no eye has seen, no ear has heard how many different stories are in our church and how many different trauma stories across the board. So trigger warnings, by the way, and I'm talking about uh, over week. I'm not going to solve anything for anyone. Um, I've entitled the service of this talk. And God have mercy, Lord Jesus, please show up and help us to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly, follow us with the and strength of the recipients of your love in a contagious fashion. Amen. Make us instruments of your peace. Um, but the title, can a church body divided over Roe versus Wade be united by Jesus for life? Can a church divided in opinion on Roe versus Wade be united for life? Um... I want to set some ground rules for some stuff I'm going to say. And basically stuff I think would be really good for all of us to embrace. Two phrases I don't want to ever use. Pro-abortion, pro-choice, pro-life. Can we get rid of those phrases? Phrases are usually shorthand for stories. And stories are lived and created by human beings, image bearers of God-living stories. And stories are more complicated than your fragmentary sentence. And I have lived on, uh, engaged this issue as a man. So, by the way, that's a big limitation today, is I'm a man. And that's, I'm, I only represent one gender in this discussion. Um, but I had a really complex relationship with this issue that I think uh, a lot of you might relate to. Um, Jesus people, this is one thing I want us to get. I want to uh, read. I want to actually probably stick to my notes a little more than normal, so I don't talk forever. I'd like to do some more time. That's what we did to the kids' talk. But Jesus people love our enemies. Receive wisdom from the Holy Spirit. We embrace a sophisticated view of evil, societal brokenness, and systems that compromise the well-being of others. Jesus' people embrace a sophisticated view of evil. An example of a non-sophisticated view of evil is they're bad, they're good. You know, in fact, when we judge someone, when we say, you are this, um, like, uh, you know, let's say, uh, I'm trying to think of an example. Oh, Cheryl. Let's say Cheryl is a video game addict. I don't think this is true. I'm not getting across the home. Okay. And, and she plays video games all the time to the point where there is no relationship she has that isn't mediated by playing a multi- Whatever, MMORPG, whatever. Just playing a video game. And imagine that I just say, you're nothing. You're just a video game addict. I've spoken a judgment over Cheryl where I've said, I'm going to say this phrase. And who needs your story? Because it all fits into this phrase. And we call that like judgments. Like speaking judgments over people. And uh, it's above our pay grade. You know, now I can say, I can also say, you can give positive judgment. Sometimes you can affirm something and you're saying, I've judged you and you're good. And it could still be, you know, it's a very delicate ground there. But 
when we talk about things that we believe, What? Just. Just. And who is the just one? Just a. Yeah, just a. Minimizing people. And this is something, if you guys hear anything, thank you so much for lingering on that for a second. If you guys can hear anything, don't judge one another. Don't. Love one another. We're not, at the end of this service, we're not going to agree on certain, we're not going to be a community of total agreement, but we can be a community of total joy. And that is not just platitudes and happy, clappy, positive little affirmations. We're going to get hit some stuff from Scripture and just general wisdom, I think, that are really going to help. Stridently, stridently expressed beliefs can injure whether or not they are correct. Stridently expressed beliefs can injure whether or not they are correct or true. It is possible to speak factually or even truthfully. Not all facts are true, by the way. I, I could say something factually about someone's physical appearance and be totally right, but say it in such a way that makes that person feel like they're worthless. And that is a lie from the pit of hell and Satan's rear end. You're all of intrinsic infinite worth. But I can factually say something that works against the truth, right? But stridently expressed beliefs, even my faith in Jesus expressed a certain way, can push people away from Jesus. And I can mean it with all sincerity and good intent, and I actually got really good at doing it in a lot of ways. And I think part of it is uh, Paul in uh, Colossians 3 says, clothe yourselves in the garment of humility every day. And humility is being able to say this phrase. I don't know. That's above my pay grade. Man, I know it's really complicated and I'm working on this. Alright, who here has found the more they follow Jesus, the more muddled things become? But the more beautiful Jesus becomes, the more compelling Jesus becomes. Yeah, I, I do believe that because I used to have a lot more misanthropic beliefs than I do now. I used to talk about total depravity, now I talk about fractured beauty. I'll drink to that. <laughs> so we have an imperative to love across a chasm of disagreement. If Christ admonishes us to capital L-O-V-E, our enemies, how much more then do we love our neighbors, let alone our brother, those we call brothers and sisters? I mean, I love the fact we love our enemies, which has tremendous ethical ramifications that if you don't find them challenging, you haven't thought about it enough and let the, or been silent with the Holy Spirit enough to hear the ethical challenges of love your enemies. Because I will say one thing. There is none of us in this room that doesn't have unexplored enemy love territory and unexplored forgiveness opportunities. There's not a single one of us that doesn't have a deeper opportunity to reverence image bearers of God. And I'm constantly, you, you think you're good? And the, here's the thing about God. God's so good. God isn't like, you're still unclean because you can't stand this person. God's like, hey, you've done a really good job learning to love this people group. Have I got a deal for you? You know this other people group you're not really doing a good job loving at you? I'm going to walk alongside you to help you love them too. And that may sound like semantics, but it is a big difference. A parent shaming you for sucking versus a parent taking you by the hand goes, come on, together we can do this. That is how God transforms us. He's come on, together we can do this. So, trauma. Friends, we need to know something. This is true. This is wisdom. Because no one here knows the trauma that is in this room and that is adjacent to this room. Surrounding the issue of surrounding the issue in the controversies around abortion. No one knows. And I'm in a unique position. I'll say that I think I even before I was a pastor, people used to joke around and call me priest and stuff like that around when I would go to parties in high school or college. And say because everyone would just lay out all their dirt to me. 
and all this stuff. And so I was the first person to hear about hundreds of different things growing up. And, and as a pastor, that only happened more so. And it is a sacred thing to hear someone's story. Here, you know, no one here can conceive how, how many people have come close to ending their life on their own at this church. Or in the years of everyone who's gone, I, I don't even clue how many people have come through our doors and gone elsewhere. How many people whose lives have we partnered with for a season? No one can conceive of the amount of trauma and the breadth of trauma stories. Um, and when I, by the way, I, I'm not very much of a, a strict, like, who's in, who's out type of person. And just know, I've got kind of a view, like, I, I kind of view all my neighbors as being part of my church. Whether or not they attend here or not, I just kind of live that way and see what happens. It, it, it's, it's fun to do that. Uh, it, it's weird. It, it's really weird if you tell them that. <laughs> Which I do sometimes. I say, well, whatever you do, you're still a part of this. We're here for you. We love you. And you're precious to God, whether you believe it or not. So I, I, I'm just very, uh, maybe this, in sales, I think they call that the assumptive close. But anyway, uh, when we're, when I think of our central vineyard family and adjacent family or extended family, I think of people who, uh, I think of uh, someone who had to deal with a lot of shame because of an ectopic pregnancy, where they had a, a, a baby conceived in a place where a baby cannot be born, and with a guaranteed result of one, maybe two fatalities. You know, the baby for sure wasn't going to make it under any circumstance. I know some politicians believe babies are like Legos, just, but... Uh, and then dealt with all the shame, like, I'm a murderer. I killed And it's like, I don't think that, that when you, you didn't do that. You know, it's like, you're my, what's my pastoral role in that case is, Jesus loves you, let me give you appropriate side note. Um, the, uh, I know people uh, adjacent who, I know so many cases of coercive abortions. On the other end, you know, I don't think anyone thinks any law has ever been perfect. I think anyone, if they actually look at law, they can find a lot. And, you know, no one has, if you do, please consider entertaining a different view. No one thinks any system is just all the way through. And if you do, you just subscribe to something. But, you know, I uh, see uh, people, uh, uh, you know, who wish to see like a, a nine-year-old with a child uh, that won't be able to carry the term, try to carry the term. And I've seen people, I, I know people who forcibly were not protected um, and parents in order to avoid scandal or whatever um, force their kids into that situation. And I know that there's not protections for people in that area. So, if you know, I have unlimited optimism and hope regarding God's kingdom. I have immeasurable cynicism regarding every government, including the United States, of which I am grateful for what I do have. As I said, we, we, we can be grateful and upset at the same time. I'm grateful I got medical care. I'm upset that I only was able to get it because I had the privilege of not having to work that day or I'd lose a job, right? Um, you know, we, we had two children and Adrian was able, we were able to live off of one income and Adrian stayed at home full time with our kids and one of our kids we found daycare for and they got kicked out. Daycares don't want every kid, by the way. Just so you know, I would got in trouble a lot, but at least my daycare people led my mom to Jesus, they led my dad to Jesus, led my man and all my family, 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 family to Jesus. So daycare worked out for me. But I was, they're like, you've got to keep Jeff in this daycare because all these people are finding Jesus that are related to him. Even though he's the hardest guy and he poops himself more than any other kid. So, praise God. Um, but friends, the trauma... Just simply stating a for or against something is triggering at a personal level. 
stridently held beliefs generally, it's kind of like, I'm, I'm generally, I like bumper stickers that are fun. I like bumper stickers with pictures of little baby goats, or llamas, or that say I like shopping at this toy store, or I'm, I try to represent every record store in Columbus on the back of my thing. Worldview bumper stickers I find complex because they're, they're great ways to ensure you never have a conversation on a certain topic with someone who disagrees with someone. You know what I mean? It's like this issue of the life, the sanctity of life, mother's life, father's life, child's life. There's nine conversations that will not happen with one statement of strident opinion. One stridently stated opinion. I'm not saying you don't have opinions. But I'm saying we need to understand there are people who have trauma. Everyone here has a trauma that someone else can't imagine. That doesn't mean there's someone that can't relate. But whoever you are here, will you please believe me that people have been through stuff here that you don't have the imaginative capability to enter in? And I know... One part of my job, it's not in my job description, part of my job is to say, no, you're not weird. No, you're not weird. You have this thing going on in your life that is very overt and maybe have legal ramifications. Everyone else is just better at covering things up. You know, it's like people are camouflaged in ways you would never regard. And that's good. You know, one thing we don't do is try to take every person that has something dark or difficult in the past, saying, okay, you're going to be our poster child testimony to share about this. Sometimes people are called to do that, but we certainly won't push people to do that. The stories are sacred. Stories are sacred. So, we are at risk, whether you consider yourself left, right, or an octopus. I, I relate to the octopus. Uh, left or right, we risk being drafted into a culture war where there's no end to casualties. And I've watched good people who are effectively engaging suffering have been co-opted by the culture war to become damagers and not gospel representatives. Um, I, I deleted a whole story of one of those I was going to tell, but it was a little too much of a bummer for me to talk about. But we don't need pundits, we need prophets. We don't need pundits, we need prophets. And by the way, prophets don't do sound bites. Prophets are nuanced. Prophets do poetry. Prophets do parables. Prophets get crap all over their bodies, wallowing in the dirt sometimes. That's Ezekiel. You know, prophets do so much more than punditry. Yet, a badge of acceptance, in particular in America, is if you can checkmark binary boxes on everything. And what I found is, I, I actually, I used to think, says, man, I don't know why God missed the boat when he's put the Bible together. He couldn't just give us a procedure manual. He gives us a complicated story that can be taken a lot of different ways in certain areas. Like, even the abortion issue. There are clobber passages on both sides. I, I could have a deadlocked argument. You couldn't win argument. No one's won it in 30 years, but I could have a deadlocked argument from either perspective on when life begins. And by the way, in uh, history of theology, the quickening, when, did, when does uh, the, the new one emerge? You know, a friend of mine got his PhD studying that from a phenomenological perspective uh, for the church parents. The more I look into it, the more I realize, oh my God, we need Jesus. And we have a Holy Spirit. I'm so glad he promised the Holy Spirit. And what I found is the Holy Spirit isn't really good at empowering people to clobber other people. If you see someone bullying, you know that they've got a spirit behind it, and it ain't the Holy One. Um, for many people, um, there's a synergy. I don't talk about CV. If, if I were to use the term pro-life, which I won't, because, uh, well, I'll tell you why. For years, um, I was for capital punishment. I thought, you know, there's a verse uh, right after Cain and Abel. It says, if man sheds man blood, I think it's Genesis 9, 6. If man, it was a memory verse in my Christian school. We had memory verses on why capitalism, I mean, capital, we had memory verses on why capital punishment was cool. 
And it was, if man sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. It's like, yay! Kill the bad people. And, you know, that's just God saying, yeah, you guys are under a curse. This is how life works out. Man sheds man's blood, man shall blood be shed. And God intervenes with Cain and puts a mark of him saying, don't kill Cain even though he shed blood. But I remember the verse, and he said, if man sheds man's blood, by man shall blood be shed. Hey, we're going to, you know, it's like take time off to watch executions, uh, capital punishment trials, and space shuttle launches. You know, I, I'm going on board. I'm sorry, let me rewind there. But then I, as I grew older, I realized, oh my gosh, it seems like people with money don't ever get convicted of capital crimes. And poor people that get bargain basement lawyers do. Then we had this thing called DNA testing. We kind of, wow, do you know how? Like, we're going back on all these cases and realize we've executed all these people, predominantly people of color, who later were exculpated by DNA evidence. So, and one, one thinker who theoretically did not have an issue with capital punishment said, I absolutely oppose capital punishment in America because even if it were theoretically appropriate in some circumstances, we can't do it. That's not something America has proven able to handle. And frankly, if we can't, I doubt anyone can handle it. So all this to say is I was so pro-capital punishment, and I'm not, I know there's different perspectives here, but as I've marinated in the Gospels in Jesus, it, the more I've been, I feel like I've been a snowball collecting stories rolling downhill. And my reverence and love of human life has grown, grown, grown. My level of confusion in some areas has grown. But there's a sense of slowness, almost like a Sabbath vibe that takes us. It's like, hurry up and slow down. And what I found is what I used to symbolize. I could describe someone's morality based on one decision and one belief about one thing. And the problem with that, now I, I grew up in a very pro, uh, like self-identified uh, pro-life, anti-Roe versus Wade environment. You know what? I can't tell you. I mean, my family is much bigger because of adoption than it would have been. I, uh, I've had family members, people that countless times uh, volunteered at crisis pregnancy places. I was part of a Vineyard Columbus when they started their, what started out as their mother heart ministry. Someone gave us an apartment building to house people in crisis before, after. You know, wraparound care for parents in financial crisis. Um, before I messed up my back, I got to be one of the moving guys. Um, and uh, I, I was involved in around people who were involved holistically in trying to care for people in crisis. Now, I don't feel any of that vibe when I hear pundits talk on TV about this. But I, I've been around people who spent their wealth and their not wealth as well on, you know, wraparound care. Uh, with the, and my friend Diane Bauman now leaves that, uh, that ministry. And uh, you don't know how many 25-year-olds you might run into around circles as churches are connected to and stuff who mom was met outside of a clinic with just a woman. What I loved about Vineyard did this. Let me tell you Vineyard did this, what I love. Men weren't allowed anywhere near a clinic because that's coercion and intimidation, right? Men weren't allowed anywhere. But women could come and pray if they were kind and humble before and after. And we've got friends now that exist for that. That like mom, literally the amount of people, one out of three people, if this is a statistic, I don't know how valid it is. One out of three moms, at least at one point during their pregnancies, think they don't have the resources to care for this child. We're one out of the six most wealthy countries in the whole world. We're the only country that doesn't provide guaranteed uh, uh, childbirth, child leave. What do you mean family leave? We don't have maternity, paternity leave universal. 
At six developed countries, we don't. And frankly, you think, well, but I could go to court for this. It says you can't go to court if you're poor. You can't go to court if you're poor. Most people in these circumstances are poor. We don't have our system is died in the wall, pay to play. And my I, my con idea of concept of advocating for life has expanded in so many areas. It's overwhelming if it's a code book. It's accessible if it's a story, and the story is Jesus. You know, um, in the ancient world, lepers were seen as inhuman. I mean, you were already dead if you were a leper. You know, that, that you couldn't touch them because they were unclean, because corpses were unclean. And even in the first couple of centuries, uh, lepers were not human. They were essentially zombies in people's view. And one of my favorite church theologians and church fathers, there were a lot of church mothers out there, Gregory Nazianzus developed his whole anthropology around lepers. And he talked about image bearing, and he compared lepers to children who can't do anything on their own, but we can do this. And that kind of inspired me to think, what does it mean for me to always be having the preciousness of life get bigger? And my, the preciousness of human life did not get bigger by me getting solidified by political views. The preciousness of human life came through time spent with Jesus, his people, his scripture, doing the stuff where the category of people I love kept getting bigger and the enemy category kept getting smaller. And there's still a long way to go. If someone called me, I mean, listen, there's a lot of areas I am not pro-life in because there's a lot of groups or persons that I struggle hating sometimes. A lot better than I used to be. But um, at the heart of our lives, we have three things. We have scripture, synergy, and spirit. Scripture, synergy, and spirit. Synergy, I mean, synecdoche synec means bring together. Synagogue means Gathering together, sin means combined together. We have a synergy of community. Bible was not meant to empower a singular personal relationship with Jesus. The Bible was meant to equip persons to be peoples. The Bible equips persons to be peoples. You know, a lot of people say, oh, it's just me and my Bible. And like, so basically you're injecting yourself with all these scriptures on how to live in community and then you're not responding to it because you don't live in community, because you don't play well with others. So you're just giving yourself inoculated the scripture to please just get rid of your Bible. I'll take it. Don't read your Bible if you're just going to do it on your own because it, you just get immune to it. Because the Bible takes persons to people. It takes persons to people. And one of the ways we hear the Spirit is sometimes people think they're hearing the Spirit and they're actually hearing their narcissism. Some people think they're hearing the Spirit. They're actually hearing their self-loathing. I had certain nurses, oh, God's just really disciplining me right now. And they would always tell me every time, well, God, I'm just really under the discipline of God. Finally, I said, no, you were abused your entire childhood, and you cannot conceive of a non-abusive parent. And you think you're always under discipline when all I can see when I'm with you is how precious you are to Jesus. And I doubt he's saying both things at once. I doubt he's saying both things at once. So this person needed to be in community to know, you think when you read the Bible, you pick out all the stuff that says how bad you are, and you don't ever see, oh, you're just like these little chicks I want to bring under my wings, and I love you through so much. You know, in the Bible, how we read the Bible as individuals is a Rorschach test. It says more about us than it says about the scriptures. How we read it in a rabbinical, communitarian sense and then we believe the Holy Spirit will inspire people to know how to live out with your measure of power. All of us have power. I had power to get medical treatment because I had power to take a day off in 80 bucks. Right? All of us have some measure of power. And I want to commend Central Vineyard for investing power well. I want to... Uh, guys... You guys, you helped disrupt a system of evil. 
not just engage individual suffering, but the growth of AIDS help in Cambodia has made a statistical systemic impact on human trafficking and child slavery. All right? Doing something simple, some might say pathetically at first, with routine over a long time period, changed the world. And now we're actually even having support from Asia's Hope where kids that grew up in there and they, just in the same way people support their parents in their old age, they're supporting it. And we have kids that were, I remember their, when the first two weeks when they were getting meals, they would eat everything they could have because they were waiting for the bottom to drop out. And now we've got a PhD here, a master's degree here, and they're investing back and these people are a lot smarter than me. You know, and guys, you, the Bible addresses systems more than personal sin. Do you know that? In fact, most of the ways we sin require another person. You know, it's like I like I'm my most I'm most skilled at sinning against Adrian because we spend the most time together. Now, I will say the trajectory is good, but. Uh, but we have this thing going on, and I have to specifically say the white North American United States church. I'm not going to – when people tar and feather evangelicals, I think we're actually passively participating in systemic racism because most evangelicals aren't white Americans, all right? And the ones that I would say are like my heroes. I mean, dude, I'll tell you what. One of the main reasons I love going to Cambodia – is I get to get out of my context and see people who really are heroes. You know, I, I talk, you know, in America, we talk about being persecuted if someone is acting woke around us or has to mention slavery. We go, oh, I'm being oppressed, I'm being oppressed. But then you go to Cambodia and you see people who are engaging, breaking structures of commodification of children whose lives are in danger. Don't dare tell them they're being persecuted right now. No, that's not persecution. I'll tell you a persecution story. You know what I mean? Uh, we, we have a, I mean, I, my, my cultural background is delicate flower. Right? I'm saying that about me, not about you. I'm a delicate little flower. And I love hanging around these people who really take seriously laying down their lives for the gospel. But many people, if you mention the systemic breakdown or multi-generational consequences, both are taught in scripture. If you don't believe that, just uh, read the Old Testament. Um, cover to cover. Um, they get accused of wokeness. And it's weird. It's like, I think that's the weirdest insult I've ever heard. Because you remember we were talking Bible memory verses, right? I, actually, I'm really bad at the numbers of memory verses, so I wouldn't get the gold star in Bible memory competitions, but I would hide it. And I love you. Wake up, awaken, O sleeper, awaken and rise, and the light of Christ will shine on you. And throughout the history of Christianity, wakefulness, wokeness, being fully alive, was about being aware not only of God's kingdom, but God's not kingdom. God's not kingdom. Where is God's kingdom coming? Where is it like, Jesus, are you going to do something about this? Please use me. That's, so this idea, you can get fired. In fact, I know someone just got fired from a Christian, well, actually, no, two people now. They got fired from Christian institutions to talking about Baker's Rebellion in history class. You guys know what Baker's Rebellion is? I'm not going to tell you. Take a minute and write down Baker's Rebellion. Ask the wiki. Ask the wiki. Hmm? Ask the Googles. Ask the Googles. But, you know, I'm get. You know, what happens is disciplines become in. Uh, intellectual pursuits become sophisticated. It's complicated. The more you know, the more it's complicated. One thing I think is complicated but so achievable for us. Every one of you can hear from the Holy Spirit. Every one of you can hear from God or follow His Word or be inspired by His Word to be present to someone in crisis. Every one of you. Can I tell you, like, the way the church works is at least at a financial level, there should never be such a thing as a crisis pregnancy. At a financial level, in a body of believers, there should never be such a thing 
is a crisis pregnancy. Now, there's obviously crises, other kinds of crises out there. And I've seen this. I've been part of home groups. Someone became a single parent, unable to support their kid due to some difficult circumstances, and they passed out bundles of 12 pre-stamped envelopes. This is dating this. This is before Venmo. And basically everyone's saying, like, every month, put in the cash and put in and mail it, and we'll support this person until they reboot their life. And one person even opened up, like, a stock portfolio before Apple made its big iMac comeback. And this person ended up paying off their house and everything. But yeah, it was like this consequence. They were, it was just one hunger. This is how we roll, folks. That doesn't mean we're sugar mamas or sugar daddies. It means between us all, we got enough. And I say, like, uh, it's hard for me when I hear uh, people who would, uh, would identify very, very opposed to Roe versus Wade as just, I've heard sometimes stereotypes, well, what about the baby after it's born? Well, I was very privileged to grow up around the frickin' salt of the earth, all right? And I know, listen, when I watch people on TV and on some of the news, they, they still call them news stations. Uh, affinity-based entertainment anchor stations. And I think it's affinity-based anchor, and I can say that about 360 all of them, okay? So don't, don't, I'm not picking uh, Read a book. Um, or not a book. But when we're looking at that, I knew people that sacri would sacrifice anything and everything for someone in crisis. And I've seen it happen. And you know, uh, John Wimber used to say, you can tell someone's values, and this is going to date it too, by looking at their check register and their day timer, how they spend their time and their money. And I'm telling you that it's not a unicorn to say someone who was opposed to Roe versus Wade isn't there to do that. At the same time, I've never met someone who's pro-abortion. I've never met someone who says, isn't abortion awesome? We're going to go to King's Island. You know, no one likes abortion. No one. No one. But we use terminology. I have used Jeff Penelope's terminology that judges someone and says, I do know their story, and I do know their complexity, and I know the ins and outs of everything. I know the precise second life begins. I know. I, in, I, in my judgment, I have cast such a wide grouping of aspersions on people that now you might have clues to why I really enjoy preaching this grace message. Because I need it. Um, guys, Central Vineyard understands human flourishing. You know, when we talk about peace, in the Bible, whenever church people use peace, it doesn't mean, hey dude, freedom rock. Peace is not like passivity. Peace is working, sweating, and bleeding to help engineer a community where all humans flourish. That is shalom. Working blood, sweat, tears to engineer a community filled with the grace of God for human flourishing. And uh, I, to you guys, I'm going to say, it's like you guys just need to be clearly communicated. What do I do? You don't have to be persuaded to do it. And any lack we've ever had as a church of being engaged or any opportunity we missed out on has been a communications issue, not a beautiful heart issue. And something I see is I see spirit-filled people who are routinely blood, sweat, and tears in for the vulnerable and for life that may think one or the other doesn't value life, whether it's a kid's life or a mother's life. And I want to tell you guys, don't do that. Don't do that. Listen, you can be have opinions. You can be angry. You know, um, you can feel a level of unsafeness, but by God's power, if Jesus can forgive those crucifying him, and I'm, none of us are anywhere near facing that, don't even allege that, we can love and befriend people. Because our killer app is we're the people of the presence of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We are the people of the presence. We're not the virtuous ones. We're not the right ones. We're not the, I mean, we're precious. We're the precious ones. And I love it. In fact, our 
best view of ourselves is to be a baby in the arms of God. And you know what? Babies don't. Babies know what they need, and they do what they can do. But babies aren't really good at pointing fingers at other people. And I think that's something we can grow in. This, uh, you know, once again, I get the quote right this time. Uh, Dom Helder Camera, uh, Archbishop of uh, Recife in Brazil. I hope I got that right. When I feed the poor, they call me a saint. But when I ask why the poor are hungry, they call me a communist. So, I want to read the Apostle Paul. Alright? And I want you to be encouraged because this is something you guys are good at. Across the board, you are good at. And I'm using a translation that, um, that is only half translated because sometimes we oversimplify words that we don't have words for. So this is a little, this is like half translated, so you'll get it, but it's a little confusing. It says this, we are wrestling not against blood and flesh, but against the archons, against the powers, against the cosmic rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of witness in the celestial places. So it says, we're not wrestling against flesh, or, by the way, in the original Greek, flesh is a few bad apples. No, it's not, but flesh means like a person. But against archons, against the powers, and in contrast, against cosmic rulers of this darkness, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness, which when they say cosmic and spiritual, that's done in contrast, saying the first two categories here are referring to earthly authority and governing systems or bodies of influence. So, you can see why it's a little, people may not want to translate that exactly like that, because your battle is against flesh and blood, but every one of your governments is corrupt at every level, and by the way, there's also demonic stuff and spiritual stuff and big old devil stuff going on too, together, but people reduce this all to be spiritual and of no earthly relevance, when the reality is, is when we demonize a person, we do not see a system. When we demonize a person, we do not see a system. You know, uh, even, like, I'm just thinking about this conflict in uh, Russia and Ukraine. You know, we've got a lot of vineyard churches in both places, and you can watch their services streaming. Yet, a lot of people, I've heard so many people say, Dismissive things about about one side or the other or about the Russians in general or Ukrainians in general or this that and the other and it's like the everyone's caught up in a system there there there's corrupt and super 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 corrupt right but it's all corrupt and it's so easy for us to but the people that are actually involved Mary knows this is. You have grief and love and not judgment. You have grief and love. And if we're going to have a sophisticated stance towards engaging suffering, we need to see systems that need to change. And guess what? What Ohio ranks what in infant mortality? We, 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 well, I know Columbus. Columbus is not considered a developed country based on our infant mortality rate. If a mortality rate, where does it occur? Predominantly among black women who have been subjected to racism, multi-generationally elevated levels of cortisol to prevent a baby being carried to term. What should the church be the best at doing? Bringing shalom to black women in America and healing the wounds of multi-generational trauma. A lot of people don't believe multi-generational trauma. Most people believe uh, if if you have a, a grandparent or someone who was a Holocaust survivor, you know the reality of multi-generational trauma. The trauma from Holocaust survivors, generation after generation after generation, we have an enormous level of personal anxiety. And the same is true for me living in the system of racism that doesn't happen in front of our eyes and isn't a few bad apples, it's a system. And it's killing babies all the time. And mothers. Um, one thing we can all come together on, wherever, and I think we're heading towards a constitutional crisis. I don't know anything. I mean, I don't know anything, but I, I think I've always watched governments like the pendulum. It's always swinging, 
and hit people in the nethers. Um, you know, it's like a pendulum that swings and hurts people while swinging. Uh, sorry, I should work that metaphor out better. Paul in Philippians 2 15 writes, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only when I'm around, but when I'm gone, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Oh, it's on time time. Fear and trembling doesn't mean be scared of God. Fear, because uh, you just look up fear not in the Bible, and you'll see it. This, the better word to nuance this would be reverence and trembling. And that is, there's other verses like this, like, we see through a glass darkly, but one day we will see face to face. Well, I love this. I used to use this as a clobber passage to say the Bible solves every issue. So easy. I said, well, the biblical stance is this. It says the word is a lamp onto your feet and a light onto your path. Well, I'm used to having these little lights that are a thousand lumens that can burn your corneas into charcoal, going out there and seeing everything. If I want, I've got my infrared and LIDAR app on my phone, right? So I think the word is like the LIDAR app. Too much. No. I was just in the Mammoth Cave this week, and they had everyone turn off their devices, and they lit one tiny candle in the cave. And that was how they explored Mammoth Cave initially. One person would have one little candle, and they would get three steps at a time ahead of them. So when we say the word is a lamp onto your feet, the word's going to give you a next step of obedience. It isn't going to tell you what the end looks like. Well, actually, it does tell you what the absolute, absolute end does. There are some good spoilers there. So, friends, humility, grace, kindness, love one another. You're so good at it. But this right now, I encourage you guys, as we're online and everything, is just the Hippocratic oath, do no, first do no harm, first do no harm, and realize stridently held opinions, stridently expressed on any part of this issue, do harm. And as I listen to stories and indirectly shared stories, it was even hard for people to believe some of the trauma that's happened in this group. It's hard for me to believe. It's hard for me to believe. In fact, I... I've been through stuff, but I still feel survival guilt knowing our church sometimes because it's like I've had it so freaking easy. Um,
Get permission to not keep it a secret. If people need help, if people are one of the one-third of women in America who are pregnant who feel they can't handle it because they don't know there's help out there, we're the church guys. We're the church. I mean, even that. I mean, one of my joys as a pastor is being able to be referral to families that want to adopt. You know, it's like one of the things. It's like I, and I know many of you, not by me personally, but have been a part of that where you've been placed in loving adoptive families. Guys, I'm. If you could hold your hands out, I'm gonna pray, Father. Help us to work out our faith with reverence and trembling. Help us to acknowledge that we see through a glass darkly. Help us to have eyes enraptured by the glorious image of Jesus in the, in, in the, in the word and works and miracle, miracles and love of Jesus. Lord, I pray that as you mobilize everyone here in their own sphere of influence, in their collective spheres of influence, that we would be a force where neither mothers or childs, women or children, are in danger. God, I pray that you would make us advocates for healing, not just divine healing, but you would make us together advocates for generosity-assisted healing. Love you, Jesus. Um, you know, Haley did such a good job sharing last week, and she's in one a policy position that affects people's access to health care and stuff like that. So many of you work with work with immigrants, work with mothers in health crisis, work with the poor, work as teachers, work as counselors. Uh, work with uh, people that maybe you may be the first person someone comes to in a crisis pregnancy. We have our people trained to pray come to the sides. Guys, you need prayer. We need prayer. As I said, this isn't a personal relationship with Jesus. This is a per this is a group of persons and people with a relationship with Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to get prayer because God has made you hands, feet, mouthpiece. Holy Spirit, God, let's worship God. Oh, communion. I'm so sorry, guys, because this is where it comes down to, right? Um, Eucharistic living is where we get so in the habit of practicing this, of Jesus' broken body and spilled blood, that we move away from coercion and towards invitation because we emulate the sacrifice of Jesus, not the coercive violence of other gods that people worshipped. We learn of Jesus whose Holy Spirit inspires. So as we take the Eucharist, ask for the Eucharistic life where we're filled with Jesus till we stay with Jesus. Amen? Lord Jesus, I pray your real presence over these elements. Let's take the bread and the cup. Thank you guys. You've been so grace-filled grace to hang with this conversation. You're pretty amazing. Got me for so.